Josh, we're nearly a thousand episodes in, and for quite a few years now, I've wanted to talk to someone specifically about gold. So this is serendipity that, that this has happened. Um, because in my research for the money matrix, fiat currency looks like, I think it's gone down by about 85% in value. So it's worth one seventh of what it was in 71. But gold is something like over a thousand percent worth more than in 1971. And obviously that started because we came off the gold standard. So what are your thoughts on the value of fiat currency? And do you think it's a bit of a Ponzi scheme? And do you think it's going to continue to go down? Why has gold been so strong and why has currency been so weak? It's a good question. It's a big one, first yeah, off. It yeah. requires probably a very detailed and long answer. Let's do it. I will try not to bore everyone to death. <laughs> but my general opinion is we are living in a fraught world and a scary world. And inflation is at the highest it's been relative to people's net worth. It's the highest it's ever been. Um, and inflation is it's eroding people's wealth, but it's pushing people to make decisions um, for the purpose of being proactive within their investments. And you know, smart investors will they'll wait for smart risks, calculated risks. Um, other investors, you know, they want to be seen to be proactive and for the sake of being proactive and for the sake of avoiding this guaranteed loss of purchasing power that, that you know every single newswire is telling us that we are being exposed to people are starting to think well what do i do you know do i do i leave my money in the bank you know i'm i'm earning maybe 5% but i'm still guaranteeing a loss to inflation by about 4 or 5% and that's if you believe the inflation figures. That's if you believe the inflation figures. And that's only just happened you can get 5% on your money because for 12 years you could get 0% on your money. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there are people that are thinking, well, do I put my money into equities? Um, I think truth be told, whilst there, is, whilst there are a lot of very scared people out there, there's a huge amount of opportunity. You know, you know more than anyone the rich get a lot richer during times of uncertainty, you know, regardless of whether or not fiat currency is continuing to dip and dip and dip. And so I think the question is, how can we leverage the environment in which we're living in to better our situation? So do you think high inflation, i.e. low purchasing power of your pound or dollar, do you think that pushes the value of gold up? Well, I know it does. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, definition of a, the definition of inflation is the rising cost in commodities. Mm. So by its very definition, you know, gold falls, in, you know, gold falls into that. Um, inf you know, gold is a product like everything else. You know, we go to the supermarket, we buy bread, we buy beans, we buy milk. Um, the cost of that increases because the cost of labour increases, the cost of energy and the store that you know, they're renting out increases and therefore they have to charge more to, to, to make a profit. It works in exactly the same way with physical gold. You know, we have to rely on miners to get it out of the ground. We have to rely on uh, transport companies to get it from A to B. We have to rely on insurance companies to insure the gold from, for, for them to get it from A to B. So when it gets to a point where it makes little sense to get gold out of the ground 
because it costs more to get it out the ground than we can sell it for, we stop mining it, right? And if we stop mining it, then supply goes down. If supply goes down and demand stays the same, price goes up. Price goes up. Yeah. Now that's if demand stays the same. But we have a highly, highly correlated um, circumstance whereby whenever we see uncertainty during every single recession, bar none, we've seen the value of currency dip, the dollar, the yen, sterling, relative to a basket of other currencies, and we see gold increase because it's physical, it's tangible, it's something that you can take out of the banking system, it's something that you can store at home or you can store somewhere else. And whilst we go to bed at night and we have no idea, well, we like to have some idea what it's going to be worth in the morning, we know for sure that it's going to be in the same place, right? And with equities and the majority of other investments out there, as great as some of them are, you can't always rely on the fact that the counterparty will be in business. So when I, you know, going back to what I was talking about in terms of, you know, what are, what are our opportunities? You know, I'm under no illusion that gold is the best asset class. I'm under no illusion that gold should be looked at in isolation. You know, far from it. I think every single asset class has its part to play in a diversified portfolio. Um, but I think it's about timing. I think it's about timing. I think it's about asset allocation. I think it's about asking yourself the question, what represents value right now? I think if you look at cash, it represents more value than it did, you know, a year, a year or two years ago because, you know, they are paying 5%. But you're still losing to inflation, as you said. Um, equities. I came across an interesting statistic recently whereby it was, I was told, whenever the price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500 hits 27 or higher, we've seen um, an absolute crash. We saw that back in the 1970s, we saw that back in 2008, and we are currently in that situation at the moment, right? So we've never seen a situation where that hasn't happened before, mm. right? So the, the idea as to are equities a good thing to, to invest in right now, maybe, right? But I think it's probably too soon to tell. Okay. Corporate bonds, you know, corporate bonds, in order for them to raise money on the open market, they're going to have to start competing with the banks. They're going to have to start, you know, generating or providing higher yields. The problem with the problem that investors might find is that there's a lot more risk out there. You know, it's it's every day now that we're starting to hear of more and more businesses that are going under. Right. Um, if they can't raise money on the open market because people, you know, despite the fact they're offering 12% on a corporate bond, people are thinking, mm, yeah, but you know what? I don't want to lock it in for one or two years, or I don't quite fancy, you know, this particular business's growth plans given the outlook. I'm probably going to wait or I'll leave it in cash for now. Mm. And so, you know, the bond market is is also suffering because it thrived on a period of almost free debt. The bond market's really interesting because if you link bonds with the banks, the banks and the you know, various countries and banks, they are obligated, they're duty bound to purchase government debt. A lot of these banks purchased government debt, one year, two year, five year, 10 year, when interest rates were at the floor on the floor. And so now that interest rates are higher and banks are continuing to lend money out as credit in order for them to make money, 
um, we're looking at huge, huge losses on banks' balance sheet. You know, I think there was one, there was one bank earlier this month that posted a £630 million loss just because of the difference between what they're getting in interest and what they are selling um, and receiving in interest. Um, and it's mind-blowing um, because with all of the other handicaps that banks are facing at the moment, regulation, the demise of regional banks in America, um, I think it's a huge, huge problem that you know banks are are bleeding and you know when we think about when we don't want to think about what to do with our money in a way sometimes the laziest thing to do is well do you know what i'll leave it in the bank mm. it'll be there tomorrow it'll pay me a couple of percent and at least you know when i find something worth putting my money into it'll still be there it's a dangerous yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous assumption do you think that the price of gold has benefited because there was lockdown and maybe there was not so much trust in the government. And when we look at what inflation was and we realise actually if that keeps going on, we're not in hyperinflation of course, but this money might literally be worthless. So do you, does that gold price highly benefit when people don't trust currencies and economies and governments. From my point of view, I would never buy a bond because I don't trust the government. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't think my money is safe with them. They're, they're, they're insolvent. You know, my, my government is 31 trillion in debt. The American one is, what, over 300 trillion in debt. And they just bumped their ceiling up. Now rates are 5%. The cost of government debt's gone way up. The government are completely insolvent. Why would I lend my money to an insolvent entity? You wouldn't. Well, well it's, it's like lending money to someone that can't afford to pay their credit card yeah. bill on the hope that maybe one day they will. Yes. So even with interest rates at 5%, I don't want too much money in the bank. And I don't want my money in bonds because I don't trust the government as a good credit risk because they're insolvent. I can't be the only person that thinks like this. So as soon as... I think that I've, I'm forced to look at other alternatives. I'm in real estate already quite exposed in that. I buy watches, I buy art. And so gold seems to be, because at least I can trade. If currency goes to nothing, I'm going to be able to trade my gold. My Krugerrands will be able to be used to buy something, just like my Rolex watches yeah. will. So is this something that you see? And since lockdown, have you seen more of this? Or am I just the only one? No, it's a, it's a trend that we've seen right. in earnest, and it's a, it's a trend that we continue to see. If we, if we boil it right down to emotions, when people start to lose trust in systems that they can't see or understand, and they range from corporate bonds to leaving your money in a bank to cryptocurrency, you know, gold predates currency. Mm. You know, if we ask our grandparents what they did during the war, um, you know, a lot of that generation will say, well, actually, the safest thing to do to remove yourself from the exposure and the volatility of foreign exchange, the uncertainty of governments, the fiscal uncertainty of, you know, governments and the politicians that, that, that mm. push those, those regulations forward, gold is one of the safest assets to hold. Because not only can you buy it here and sell it there, but it's completely private. 
Effectively, mm. what you are doing is you are removing your wealth from the banking system, right? And you're yeah, it's almost decentralised, isn't it? You are decentralising mm. it, and you are removing a counterparty to which you have no exposure. So, you know, it's a, it's a big ask for society to say, well, you know, you've got to trust the government and you've got to trust the politicians. You've got to trust everyone um, that influences the value and the growth of your money whilst you not having any influence whatsoever over it, right? It's a big ask. Yeah. And we're conditioned as human beings to just, you know, just nod our head and just continue yeah. as everyone else does because your next door neighbour does it and that mm. person down the road does it. But actually, if you look at central banks, central bank gold buying has increased by 120% over the last year. Well, can right? I just jump in there? Because yeah. right? I'm just finishing my book, Money Matrix. And in a way, I think the system, the central banks, the governments, in a way, I think they're quite corrupt. But in another way, I think they're very smart and intelligent and I can learn a lot from them. And so generally what I tend to do is look where the banks and the systems are putting their money, which they probably won't tell us. And that's probably a good bet. So, for example, Lloyd's, Lloyd's want to be the biggest private landlord in the UK. Lloyd's want to buy loads of property right now. They're a major bank, so to me, well, that makes sense of property. So if they're all buying up gold, surely this is a good indicator that it's probably a safe bet. They're not, they're not investing in their own system and currency, they're investing in gold. Yeah. It's, it's pretty telling. I mean, there are, two, there are two ways to look at this. The first of which is banks are obliged to hold a certain amount of liquidity within their balance sheet. Yeah, but not much. No. 10%? Not, yeah. Yeah. But they would much rather hold that in gold than because, cash. Yeah, because they know that gold goes up and they know that cash goes down. Yeah. I had an argument with an accountant about this. I know I'll ask you this. But um, he said that cash in the bank is an asset on the balance sheet. I said, no, it's not. It's a depreciating liability because it goes down in value. And since, do you know, since lockdown, money's gone down more than a third. I mean, if people knew that, there'd be blood on the streets, yeah. but they, they, they don't know that. And so, you know, because when you have your money in the bank and you see you've got a hundred grand, what it doesn't show you is what it's actually worth with inflation. So you've put a hundred grand in the bank, you've had it for three years, you've got 70 grand left. If, you'd, if you see, physical numbers and then actual value and inflation, you'd get that out of, out of the bank quick because, you know, the banks aren't going to show you that. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Again, it's all relative, isn't it? So there was, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and, I, and we used the analogy that we've used with my company for many years. Um, back in the 1920s, um, a, an ounce of gold and a $20 bill was worth exactly the same, right? both a $20 bill and an ounce of gold would buy you. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. 
minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. A designer suit, right? Hugo, yeah. whatever, whatever it might be. Wow. Um, if you fast forward to today, that $20 bill, $20, right? It's not gonna afford you the train ticket into central London to get to the shop to buy that suit. But the ounce of gold is worth roughly 1,600 pounds per ounce, right? It's worth wow. 1,600 yeah. pounds. So what that shows you is that the gold doesn't, you know, whether or not you say gold has increased by, you know, however many percent, I wouldn't say that's the right way of looking at it. What gold has done is it's maintained the purchasing power of that initial $20 bill, which has allowed you to buy the same goods and services that you could buy back then. So basically, it's not been wiped out by inflation. So gold is a, an inflation hedge, whereas fiat currency is getting eaten by inflation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, can't, I, I don't know of a situation where cash has outperformed inflation ever, right? And so, you know, if anyone decided to just stick cash in the bank account in various different wrappers, but leaving it in cash, you are going to lose money, right? And it is gonna become worthless every single year and every single decade you hold it, mm. right? And so to some extent, we have to do something. You can't just leave it in, in its form, right? I understand that we need cash to buy goods and services, but you know, when we don't need it, it needs to be in something. And so whilst I strongly believe that there's gonna be a huge amount of opportunity, I think it's gonna be a huge opportunity in property. Um, what, I you think this, the prices are gonna drop? Well, I think rents have gone up. Yeah. I mean, you'd be the best judge of this, but yeah. I've been told that rents have We've increased. We've put rents quite... up 30%. Yeah. People call us dirty, evil landlords for that. But of course, rates have gone from 0.25 to 5 in two years. Got and to cover their debt. Exactly. Um, and we hadn't put rents up for five years before that, which of course people forget. So really, it's 30% over six years. Um, but these increasing rates... See, I think this is... I think in a way the house price crash it's a manufactured scam but i think it's coming and it's going to be hard so you said i'm going to give you my opinion on this and then get your thoughts so um in 2008 we had the banking crisis through them lending money to anyone and major increase in risk then rates were dropped to basically zero to try and cover up or protect that. And there's a whole generation that thinks, thinks it's normal for rates to be 0.25%. Mm -hmm. So these people who don't know any different, they've got a mortgage with Lloyds, they've got a car loan with Lloyds Car Finance, they've got a conservatory that they got on a private Lloyds loan, and Lloyds have got them now. And they could have really gently increased rates and predicted and really controlled inflation without happening, and they didn't. And then all of a sudden they whack up the dial and rates go up like that. And all these people now are paying massive amounts of repayments, they're stuck. And then those that get repoed, Lloyds will buy them back because Lloyds have just said they wanted to be the UK's largest residential landlord. Yeah. To me, that's a, that's a bit of a scam. Um, do you agree that that's what's going on? And um, 
I think because rates have gone so high so quick, people's affordability very quickly is going to go down. They're going to chuck the keys back. And I saw this in 2008. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? It's interesting because we, 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 we have a consultative uh, based approach, right? We, we get to speak to every single one of our clients that purchase physical gold. People that come to us, you know, they're not gold bugs. They're not people that love gold, that dream about gold, that have only ever wanted gold. They are normal, working, everyday people. They range from, you know, we have investment bankers, we have politicians, we've got um, engineers, electricians, plumbers. You know, we've got people that invest as little as 10,000 or 5,000, right up to the millions. The common denominator that ties everyone together is fear and uncertainty and concern, right? And we get to speak to these, you know, we get to speak to these people. So we really understand what drives them to do what they're doing. The amount of people that have voiced concerns over servicing their debt, servicing their mortgage, servicing their credit card, um, people that we've turned away as well because we don't think it's a good idea to borrow money to purchase physical gold. You're defeating the entire point of gold in its entirety. You know, gold is supposed to be used as wealth preservation, right? If you have capital, then you can preserve it by purchasing physical gold. Um, it doesn't make any sense to borrow money to do that. The point I'm trying to make is that we've seen a 30% increase in people that have been that have had to sell their primary dwelling to downsize in order to remove to reduce their their debt ratio. Mm. I was reading an article on the on the on the train on the way up here um, that said that mortgage arrears are up by 30%. Wow. Um, and that doesn't even take into account all the people that haven't really reached the expiry yeah. of their fixed term mortgage. And remember, and rates haven't been that high for very long. So if rates were even just stayed where they are for another year or two, it's going to bring all these other people out, out of the woodwork. Yeah. And not, it doesn't just worry the people that are you know, on the margins, right? It worries everyone, mm. right? People that are prudent and responsible you know, if, 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 your, if your mortgage is going to increase by 500%, regardless of your financial situation, yeah, you're, you're going like to start to think, well, what do I give up? Should I be selling? You know, I, I can afford it now and I can afford it in five years, but I want to make sure that I'm not having to sacrifice my kid's education or holidays or some of the other things that I want in life. And so, you know, whilst people are now starting to think about this and it's challenging the status quo of, you know, your money is safe forever in property. And I still believe that if you put money into property today, you know, in 30 years time, it's going to be worth considerably more. Um, but you're going to have to ride that emotional roller coaster, um, especially if you have the debt to service. You know, if you're if you're if you have no debt, I think you have no problem relatively speaking. Yeah, well, I'll challenge you on that a little bit. Um, I've got tens of millions of pounds worth of mortgages and those mortgages have gone down by 35% in the last three years because that's what inflation has been. So actually it's been good to have that debt. Also, I can gear and buy property with leverage, which I can't do with gold. Mm -hmm. um, I like. I, obviously you know your clients and I know me. Um, I, buy, me buy, I buy gold in a very defensive manner i.e. I'll buy gold when I think money is worthless or I want to hide it, i.e. I don't want anyone, I don't want the government stealing it off me. Because, you know, if we go to a, a central bank digital currency, 
with one click of a button, they could just take all my money. Yeah. Um, I know someone who got, um, I think it was either 12 or 16 million pounds just frozen by the bank to Andrew Tate. Um, so if I'm not trusting the government and these fears are real and there's talk of a central bank digital currency, I don't want them to be able to take all my money. They can't take my gold unless I tell them where it is. <laughs> um, so for me, buying gold is very defensive, and, but I'm gonna buy more of it when I think the world is more at risk. So for example, with taxes being so high, that's made me buy more gold. Is that generally how it works? People buy gold when they feel threatened and when it's as a defensive strategy? That should be the motivation. Yeah. Everyone has different motivations and some people buy it purely for growth because they want to make money. Um, and whilst but it's, un it's unleveraged and it's fairly, it's fairly stable, isn't it, gold? It doesn't go up and down, it's not volatile. It's not going to set off any fireworks. I mean, over the last couple of years, it's gone up by just under 19%. Yeah, right? it, but you don't it's see that. Almost directly related to high inflation. Yes. Yeah. But then if you look over the last five years, it's up about 70%. Yeah. And if you look over the last 10 years, it's up 500%. And so, you know, the idea is that you're, ne you're never going to see huge swings with, you know, like, like you would see with cryptocurrency. Mm. The idea is that but it's a steady eddy. Yeah. yeah. And it's liquid. You can always sell it. You never, you never buy it BMV. You're never going to have to sell it under value. Tradable. You know, what you mentioned about being able to keep it private is important. You know, being able to remove something from the banking system in a way whereby historically gold has only ever increased during times of uncertainty and also has various tax advantages, right? What are they? So if you're purchasing the right type of gold, um, UK legal tender coins, any growth that you make is exempt from capital gains tax. So that would be Britannia coins, would it? Britannia's, Sovereign's, there are various right. versions so of those So basically coins. not Krugerrands? Not Krugerrands. No, but anything that is legal tender, any growth is tax-free? Yeah. Right. Krugerrands would achieve you that same status in South Africa. Right. And we have lots of clients coming oh, so to you... us with Krugerrands. We would say, well, look, what we can do is trade you out of your Krugerrands and into the tax-free UK equivalent which will give them that protection. Right, yeah. But it's like having a portable ISA. Right. So instead of having to entrust the bank and expose yourself to that counterparty risk yeah. for the benefit of a tax-free, for benefit of tax-free growth that you don't get because of inflation, yeah. you can remove it from the bank. And whilst we're talking about fears and uncertainty, look, I think until things happen, we all just have our opinions, right? And you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Um, there's a guy called Michael Berry, who, um, who, who featured in that film, The, the Big Short. Yes, Did you ever yeah, see it? Yeah, yeah. And he predicted the crash in 2008 when everyone thought he was crazy, yeah. right? He was selling insurance for bonds that he knew was going to collapse. Yeah. Um, there was someone else called Meredith, um, I think her name's Whitty, Whitney. Right. Um, she predicted the crash back in 2008. Now, both of these people are predicting a crash. Michael Berry thinks there's going to be one within this year. Is and he the one that's like sold a load of stock and is heavy in cash now? He has just, he's just bought options that bets on the market collapsing. Right. He's, uh, he's exposed to the sum of 1.3 billion in options that will benefit him right. if the market collapses. I know, I know Buffett's gone heavy on cash, hasn't he? And I guess they do that. Do they do that? for buying power when price is co correct and to protect against a big downfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, 
again, like if we take into account there will be opportunity and we don't know when those opportunities are going to arise, your best place to take advantage of them when you have that liquidity. Yeah. Now, I would say holding cash is a passive way of, of, of a holding pattern, right? Mm. Um, the active way of being able to remain liquid whilst waiting for opportunity is to hold physical gold. Because it's liquid. But so if you needed to convert it into cash to buy depreciated assets, you could very quickly. You could do it very quickly, yeah. but you've got the added benefit of giving yourself a chance of beating inflation. Right. And, and in doing so, the tax advantages associated with it whilst removing yourself from the nuances of counterparty risk. You know, yeah. is this bank going to be around in a year's time? Is that right. bank going to be around in five years' time? Right? And so I'm sure Warren's Buff uh, Warren Buffett's money in, in, in his bank account, you know, by far dwarfs any sort of protection that any bank is going to give him yeah. if the bank goes under. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our clients... Right, I get it. So gold is safer liquidity than cash. Because I always wonder, you know when people say that they've... They've got high cash. Well, what do they actually mean? Because they don't mean physical paper. They're, surely they can't have it all in one bank account, like you said. So who knows? They, they might mean liquidity, and that might be in gold. Well, that's what the that's what the UK banks mean under Basel Three. You know, they are duty bound to hold liquidity, and they choose to hold gold yeah. instead of cash, predominantly, not not in totality. Mm. Central banks are the same, you know, rather than holding the dollar, which will depreciate with everything that we're seeing, yeah. a lot of these central banks are holding physical gold. So this goes back to my earlier point. And um, my accountant saw cash as an asset on the balance sheet for the banks. I saw it as a liability because it goes down in value. I think you've just proven what the banks think. That if the banks thought it was an asset, they wouldn't be turning it into gold and they wouldn't be lending it out to try and get a return on it. So clearly the banks see cash as a liability if they're buying gold. I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. And I think, you know, going back to saying that, I mean, you can leverage gold, you know, and banks do do that. You know, if, they, if they've got, let's say, you know, 10 million pounds worth of gold, then they can lend, you know, based on a loan to value of that physical gold. Right. Right. The normal debt to credit markets work in a far more arbitrary way, whereby one pound of a, of a, of a customer's deposit is able to fund five pounds of credit. But it's just been created out of nowhere. It's not yeah. real. Right. Whereas, you know, when a bank has, you know, one pound's worth of gold and they decide to give a certain loan to value of that gold in credit, at least it's pegged to something, mm. as opposed to just a piece of paper that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, which is fiat currency. Which is fiat currency. Yeah. Do you think... Well, let me make the statement first before the question. There are people I've spoken to who, admittedly, they're very into Bitcoin, but they have said that fiat currency is a Ponzi scheme. And, you know, what they mean by that is new debt, creates more money and it devalues existing money and with inflation being like it is, how long is it before it's relatively worthless? And of course, we've seen in some countries, Zimbabwe being an example, you know, we get hyperinflation where it's worth virtually nothing can be overnight. And of course, that's why they have the dollar as a currency as well as um, their own local currency. Do you think fiat currency is a, a, a Ponzi scheme in the sense that in the end it will be worthless? I think as society continues, I mean, if you think about it like this, 
the last time I saw a £50 note, or this, the last time I saw actual money, right, um, to the point where when my kids see cash, right, they're like, wow, that is just amazing, right? They want, to, they, they want my £20 notes, they want my £50 notes. The only purpose my notes have are to pay, you know, the gardener or, the, or, yeah. or, 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 or someone that comes in to fix something. Um, so I have it around. But it's so rare to ever have cash on us at the moment. We're, we're, we are becoming a cashless society. And so if no one wants cash and cash is depreciating, then I can't see a situation where that is going to reverse other than if people decide that the alternative, that being a central bank digital currency, takes away complete autonomy and, pri and privacy. Which right? it does, doesn't it? Which it does. Yeah. And, but, 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 but once governments kind of start to shift from fiat currency to a central bank digital currency, and, and, and I would say that the countries that do it first have a first mover advantage. Once it's done, you know, and people then start to have that regret over, oh God, now, I'm, now I can be tracked in everything I spend and everything I do, mm. and I've got no control over my own finances because effectively all it really is is a load of zeros and Xs and, and what have you. I think that's the point in which people would probably prefer to have that fiat currency. But it'll be too late cash. by then. It'll be too late and it'll be worth too little. Mm. What's the point just having paper if it's not worth anything? Mm. So, you know, we all remember, you know, those, um, those, those news articles and those videos of, you know, people kind of rushing to the bank to exchange their, you know, their, their, their huge wads of notes for, for new currency. Mm. And, you know, if they weren't able to make it quick enough, they would exchange it for kind of goods and services so at least they could freeze their purchasing power. Mm. I think, you know, in a world of unknown unknowns where we can't, we can't predict where the uncertainty is going to come from, but we can anticipate it. We do know there are going to be... I can predict where all the uncertainty is going to come from. The governments and central banks. <laughs> That's where it's all going to come from. I agree. That's a source. Yeah. But we might see the symptom of that uncertainty bubble up in other areas right, that yeah. we might not have expected. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that takes people by surprise. Mm. And I think we're never going to be able to solve the world's problems and we're never going to be able to kind of minimize the amount of manipulation there is what we can do is we can follow the smart money mm. right and and as a, a, a opposed to kind of just doing what they say if we can see what they're doing and we can and we can do what they're saying which essentially is you know perch you know put 10 percent of your portfolio into physical gold and hope it doesn't go up Right? It might sound perverse to say such a thing, but you know, investors, hedge fund managers will say such a thing because if gold goes up, it's an indication that everything else in their portfolio has gone down. Yeah. Right? But ten percent within your ten percent of your portfolio in physical gold is that a normal allocation? It's a normal allocation yeah. and it goes a long way if we see a huge correction in markets. Right. Ten percent was the norm, I would say, you know, a good seven or eight years ago. But we're seeing a huge shift um, over the last three or four years, you mm. know, from the referendum to COVID, you know, we're seeing people putting in, you know, in a measured way, you know, 15 to 20 percent. Right. But we've also seen a lot of people that decide to sell a property. They want to purchase another property. They haven't found anything yet. Some of these people are very excited that they might find something at a 30 percent discount to what is priced today. But whilst they're waiting, 
They don't want to leave their money in cash in the bank, earning you know four or five percent and exposed to counterparty risk. So a lot of these people will park it in physical gold where they know it's going to be there in the morning. Yeah. They know it's outside the banking system. They know that you know the government can't just decide to impose a tax or a levy or some sort of a charge on the money they've got in their bank account like they did in Cyprus back in 2012. And when they find the perfect property or the perfect investment or something they want to spend their money on, they can convert their liquidity from gold into either fiat currency or digital currency in, er in any country, yeah. in, in any currency. Right. Yeah, interesting. Now, there's other properties that gold has that could be a disadvantage. So number one is you've got to store it somewhere. You might want to insure it if you've got uh, a lot of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there can be security and theft and portability issues. If you've got one gold coin, it's not really an issue, is it? But, you know, if you've got some big weighty bars, I mean, I know a lot of people who buy silver, you know, and a coin that big is 35 pounds. So a, a big bar like that is not a huge amount of money. You need to store that. Yeah. So how do we do that? How do we keep it safe? So you're right, you know, gold doesn't tick the box for everything, right? It doesn't provide income. Mm. Um, you've got the added um, nuance of having to store it. They're easily solvable in that, you know, you're purchasing gold for capital preservation as opposed to income. Mm. And you can cut it in any way you want to. Right? Yeah. If gold doubles in value, you can decide to call that a capital appreciation. You can decide to divide that by the amount of years you've, you've held it and call it income or yeah. what have you. In terms of storing it, um, I mean, we offer delivery and we offer storage. What we found is that anyone purchasing beyond, below a certain amount, they tend to take delivery. They'll either store it in their house or they'll put it into a safety deposit box. So these days, I think you can take out a safety deposit box for a couple of hundred pounds per year. Most of them come with free insurance um, and you can store all of your other valuables that you have in your house with it as well. Mm. For, for me, I, I don't like valuables in my house no, because it's just, you know, I want the peace of mind of knowing I've got nothing that, that, that no one wants. I think that's really important to stress. Yeah. Um, the more you store in your home, the more you are a theft risk. Mm -hmm. um, I don't store my gold or watches in my house. Nowhere near. Um, I don't even have the safety deposit box in my own city. Uh, and that, that's been a conscious decision. Um, the next thing is, I suppose if you want to be really off-grid, you can pay for your safety deposit box every year in cash rather than on a direct debit. There are all sorts of things you can do. We, so we store on behalf of our clients within LBMA approved vaults. So they're, they're institutional vaults, the same vaults that hedge funds would store their gold. And so what you get from doing that is it's fully allocated and it's fully segregated, right? If you, if you were to give me 50,000 pounds worth of gold and ask me to store it on your behalf, effectively we'd, we would create you a vault, we would put that, money, that gold into it and you'd be fully insured for the full value that you would have in there, right? And, if, and you charge a, basically a storage and a premium yearly we, fee for that? Yeah, we charge a marginal storage rate I mean, we offer it as a service because it would be difficult to sell gold without yeah. that add-on service. And so it's something we have to do, regardless of the fact that it's heavily subsidised by us. Right. Um, does store, is there storage and insurance or storage and insurance in, together? So we charge, so the, the, it, char, it ranges from 0.65% on, 
of the value of the gold right up to 0.95%. As a yearly? As a yearly yeah. fee, but that includes insurance, it includes administration, and if clients want their gold delivered to them, some clients like to look at it and check mm. it, send it back. Yeah. Other clients want to just take it and just know it's there. You have that flexibility, yeah. right? You have that flexibility of knowing it's there. You have that flexibility of knowing, actually, I don't want it in my house. Yeah. I'm going to send it back to the vault. Yeah. Um, and that's important. You know, good luck to anyone that thinks they can take on, you know, the LBMA vaults. And yeah. if they're ever successful, I'm sure they make, they, they make a very good filmer out of it that yeah. would make a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, no, no, I get that. There's um, certain institutions and banks that the, their reputation would be over if they were, they were, there was theft. Yeah, yeah. but you're insured. Yeah. And I think as long as you can de-risk yourself in terms of your family and your safety and security, but you've got the insurance to cover yourself, then I think you're, you're in a safe position, right? 0.65% of the overall value of your gold is a negligible amount if you compare it to, let's say, equities, whereby you're still having to pay 1% in fund charges, mm. right, or custody charges. Yeah. Um, properties have um, upkeep costs. Yeah, everything you has know, an ongoing upkeep There's cost. always an ongoing yeah. cost. And so, you know, the, the, cost, the cost of protection is storing it in mm. a safe way. I think it would be, in a way, it would undermine the safety and security aspect of gold if you were to just kind of leave it as a door weight um, in, yeah. your, in your living room. Mm. So can you tell us the different types of gold that people can purchase? You, we talked about Britannia coins, which are legal tender, Krugerrands, which aren't in the UK. You said there's different sizes of bars. Why would you want to buy one over the other? Would it be buy, best to buy a bar amount equivalent in coins or a bar? Can you just talk, educate us a bit on that? Yeah. So there are some websites that make it very complicated and they will show you thousands of bars and coins. Um, and all of them have you know, advantages in their own right. Lots of these coins and bars are beautiful. We like to keep things simple, right? In our mind, you've got bars and you've got coins. People that purchase bars um, tend to be people that are either limited businesses um, or um, people that live outside the UK. So can you buy um, a bar of gold as a company asset, i.e. not leave it in cash, put it in gold? Absolutely. Yeah. We have a lot of clients who tend to be limited companies or trusts or we've even got some charities that purchase physical gold because they can't benefit from the capital gains tax exemption. They will purchase and hold gold bars because it's a cheaper way of them doing that. Yeah. Some of our other clients that tend to be the same sort of people will hold um, UK gold coins. If I take it back a little bit, as I was saying before, UK gold coins, Britannias and sovereigns, and you've got lots of different types of them, but let's just keep things simple. You've got one ounce Britannia and you've got a sovereign that weighs roughly just under eight grams. One of them's 24 carat, one of them's 22 carat. Um, the big one is beautiful. You've got the king's effigy on it. Um, the smaller ones, um, you know, have been minted right back to the Victorian era. Um, and so these coins carry with it um, tax advantages um, on the basis that you sell and you've grown your portfolio. So, so I would no capital gains tax on government legal tender gold coins. Correct. Right. I would say 99% of our clients, UK clients, that are 
purchasing physical gold that have received the right guidance or know the right thing to do, purchase UK legal tender gold coins. And they, they buy them through you? And they buy them through us. Yeah. Um, the 1%, I would say, are the people that have no intention of staying in this country, right? And so they would much rather purchase a physical gold bar because when they go to another country, it might be easier for them to sell an ingot or a bar than it might be, you know, a gold coin. Why? Just because if they're going to melt, if, they get, if, they, if they're going to sell that in another, current, another country or jurisdiction, they're going to melt it down into a bar, right? Right? Because you know a UK gold coin might have less of an appeal in Sri Lanka, mm. right, or Thailand, right? right? They might prefer the benefit of having a gold bar, and so yeah. if you've already got that gold bar, they'll probably pay you more for it than mm. having to pay you a price that reflects having to melt it down, right? Right? But those are within their own category. Mm. You know, it, it is true. You know, if you're going for a big bar, you're paying a lower premium, right? right? But sometimes it's so you're a getting more gold, gold for your money. You're getting more gold for your money, but sometimes it's a false sense of security because, yes, you get more gold for your money, which does mean that as the gold price increases, you've got more of your funds growing. But if you think about it, a kilo a kilo of gold costs around fifty thousand pounds, right? If you purchase a kilo of gold, you're going to be paying a much smaller margin, a much smaller premium than if you're purchasing a one ounce Britannia. But when you come to sell it, there's going to be far fewer people that can afford mm. to purchase that one kilo gold bar. So you've got a smaller market. So you've got a smaller market to sell it into, which means the demand for it is less, which means that the price that people are willing to pay is much, much lower. So, that, so you, you might have to sell a bar at a discount, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, we find this in watches. You know, I've gone up the ladder in the watches that I buy, and you get what the more valuable a watch is and the more rare it is, it is harder to sell and there's a lower market. When you start thinking, I should have just bought 10 Rolex Daytonas, you know, instead of one Odomar P. Gay or Richard Mille or something like that. It's exactly so you've got to think about liquidity. You've got to think yeah. about exit, you've got to think about liquidity. I think one of the biggest misconceptions when people purchase gold is buy price, buy price, premium, premium, premium. Right. It is important. It's half the picture, it's half the story. Yeah. You've got to be able to weigh up the price that you buy at against the price that you sell at. You want the, you want the narrowest spread, but you want something that you're going to be able to sell easily in the market that you are likely to sell it into, mm. right? And so given that 99% of retail investment demand falls into the category of gold coins, in my opinion, you're better off holding those coins despite the fact that you will pay a higher premium you'll get a better buyback price. Yeah. And therefore the spread, the difference between the selling price and the buyback price is relatively narrower. Mm. Now, some people keep going on about how silver's better to buy than gold. I don't understand silver as much as I understand gold. Robert Kiyosaki at the moment is banging on about silver yeah. is better than gold. What are your thoughts on that and how is it different? And what, what makes some people say silver's better to buy than gold? Because to me, it just means you've got a shitload more weight to store. <laughs> Yes. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, a coin, a Krugerrand is 1600 and the same size coin in silver is £35. <laughs> I would say, look, if we go back to the 1980s, we all remember when an ounce of gold was $75. The one thing that I hear time and time and again is, oh, God, I wish I bought gold when gold was $75 an ounce. You know, if I bought gold when gold was $75 an ounce, I wouldn't be working today. Well, that's right? a bit like if I got Apple shares yeah. day one, yeah. But then if we draw the same comparison 
um, about silver to gold, right? Some would say that silver is at the same crossroads that gold was at back in the 1980s, and I'll tell you why. Silver is used far more within industrial manufacturing, right? Mm. It's used within photography, it's wiring. used within medicine, mm. wiring, mm. watches, calculators. Um, the government have these audacious plans to, to convert every car to electric over the next 10 years. Within those lithium batteries, they need silver. There's no alternative conductor for it. And so whilst, whilst, whilst gold tends to increase when the market um, is worried and uncertain and equities are falling in value, silver, silver demand tends to increase when gold increases, right? So silver is regarded as gold's volatile sister. So when gold shoots up, it, it drags silver up. Because it's cheaper, what we tend to see is that for a small increment in gold, we see a much larger percentage increase in silver, right? The same can be true when we see the gold price fall, right? The gold price falls a little bit, the silver price falls by a lot more, right? So it's far more volatile, it ampl it's amplified in both directions. But this is why it's become really attractive. There's very few metals, there's very few markets that champion economic growth and economic uncertainty, right? So we've got a situation where we see economic uncertainty, gold increases, silver is pulled up. We see a situation whereby we start to see those green shoots to recovery, interest rates go down again, uh, equities start to, to flourish, people start to put their money back into bonds, industrial manufacturing starts to increase because businesses start to become a little bit healthier, they buy more silver, right? And so it's, it's, it's very rare, I don't know any other asset class that tends to increase when you've got uh, boom and bust. Mm. And so, you know, what they're saying at the moment is that if we, if we just carve out investment demand and we just look at industrial demand, they're saying we haven't got enough silver within manufacturing primary and secondary market to satisfy investment demand, uh, sorry, industrial demand over the next five to 10 years, right? So we're either gonna have to find an alternative to silver which many scientists would say there isn't a better conductor than silver at that price. Um, or we're gonna have to find more silver. Um, and so as silver becomes more and more expensive, um, because we've had the likes of uh, Robert Kawasaki, you know, he's saying, he, what he's saying is that for the same reasons that I'm saying it, silver is becoming more and more attractive. As it becomes more and more attractive, it becomes more and more expensive. As it becomes more expensive, businesses are having to unavoidably pay so much more to acquire it to do what they need to do, which therefore means that cars become more expensive and all of the things that they are creating become more expensive. I can't see a situation in which this doesn't feed back into inflation mm. and possibly tip the markets the other way, right. in which case gold goes up, it pulls silver up with it. Mm. So at the Pure Gold um, company that you run, do you sell silver as well as gold? We do, mm. we do. So we sell physical gold and silver bars and coins. We deliver it to clients. We store it in vaults that we create for them. The only disadvantage with silver, and it is a disadvantage, is that back in 2001, the government abolished VAT on investment grade gold, right? Before then, if you were purchasing gold, you'd have to pay 20% on top of the purchase price. Mm doesn't make a great investment if you're having to do that. Yeah. That kind of influenced black market buying like we see in India. And so they abolished the, um, they abolished the VAT rule on gold. 
but they haven't done that for silver, which means that if you're purchasing physical silver and you're taking delivery of it, you have to pay VAT. Right, so you're paying the 20% premium straight off. There's no way around it other than buying through a company and reclaiming that VAT back. You'd have to run that past an accountant mm. to see if you're allowed to do that. But we offer our clients a far more secure way of doing it, whereby we will store it in a bonded vault. So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's treated in the same way as when you go to the airport and you don't have to pay duty because te technically speaking, you're in no man's land, right? right. So, so, so you basically buy silver not in the UK and you don't put that on it. Yeah, you, yeah. you purchase it in, well, it's still purchased in the UK, right. but because we move it into a bonded vault, it's not recognised as a VAT jurisdiction. Mm. It stays in the vault. You don't have to pay the VAT on it. So you, you sell silver without VAT? We sell, we sell the silver without yeah. the VAT. But, but as long as it's stored with you? As long as it's stored within a bonded vault. Yeah. They can choose to store it <clears throat> somewhere else and we can move it into someone else's bonded vault. The last thing we would want clients to think is that they are bound to use our storage services. Mm. They're not. They can buy it through us and if they want to put it in bond, we can move it through. So what's a bonded vault? What does that mean? A bonded vault is, is quite an arbitrary concept and so it requires a little bit of imagination. It's also referred to as the black box. And so like before when I gave you the example of the airport, whereby you're in an airport, you don't have to pay duty because technically speaking, you're in a, you're in a jurisdiction that doesn't attract VAT. Mm. It works in the same way. You're in an area that of, of non-free circulation. It's the same thing when you buy whiskies or you buy you know, very expensive paintings. Mm. You know, some of these very wealthy people won't take delivery of their painting. They will leave it in a bonded vault. It's the same as a vault but it just has a tax status on that vault, which means that um, you can't remove it into free circulation. If you do, then that triggers the tax charge. Do you know what, I've just, I just quickly have a thought. Um, I've just got to check I'm claiming the VAT back on the art I'm buying. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've bought a couple of quite expensive pieces. I've got to check that I'm... Um, do you buy it for a company? Uh, yeah, just as an asset for the company, yeah. yeah. Um, like. I don't want too much cash. Um, on my heart, just send a note to myself. You have to remind yourself at the time, otherwise you forget. Yeah, I'm the same. Is there anything we haven't yet talked about about gold that we should talk about? Um, and have a think about that. But before, tell everyone kind of a bit about I hate starting podcasts with, tell us a bit about yourself and your story. It's the worst way to start. Yeah. I like to get straight in and hopefully, you know, everyone's got some, I've learned a lot, so thank you. But um, how did you get into being keen in gold? Um, you know, and how did you build your business? Well, I, again, I'll try not bore everyone to death. Um, you know, it's, it's not the kind of story whereby a movie is going to get created. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm legally trained. Um, and instead of becoming a lawyer, um, I became a financial analyst. And so my job was to analyze markets, um, sectors and companies across various different industries, one of which was precious metals, gold, silver, uranium, copper, does, by the way, does platinum fall into that category or not? And platinum, yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. Sorry. Um, and so what I, what I used to see was the correlation between an increase in demand for those asset classes and a fall in demand for other asset classes like equities, mm -hmm. right? And I was, I was working for a company called FTI Consulting who were responsible for handling the Lehman style crash, 
who were responsible for hand handling the bankruptcy of General Motors. Um, and so I had, first, I had a first row seat to the pandemonium, the fear, the uncertainty, and the mechanics that sat behind it. Um, I managed to fall upon a, um, a path in brokering where I was selling the asset class. Um, and I set up the Pure Gold Company in 2012. And um, actually, it was in 2012, we'd seen gold fall by 35% since 2015. It was when Obama was, was kind of, you know, he was, he was really pumping the green shoots recovery. Everyone had hope and faith and everyone was excited about the future and the greenback and the dollar strengthened and gold came down in, in, in price. And, um, you know, possibly stupidly at the time, I thought this is a great time to set up a gold business. Um, and actually, um, I remember um, a few years later in 2015, the um, US decided to put up their interest rates for the first time in quite a few years, since 2008. Um, and everyone was worried that if they put up interest rates, that um, effectively um, this, would this, would this would increase the value of the dollar and it would devalue gold. But what ended up happening is they put up interest rates. It scared everyone beyond belief um, based on everything we're seeing right now. And it drove the gold price up. We then saw the referendum. We then saw COVID. And we've become, um, I'm quite proud to say, we've become a thought leader in our space. You know, we've been featured on CNBC. We've been on Channel 4. Um, aren't, you on, um, aren't you on a big TV show coming soon as well, you said to me? Yeah, so yeah. We, we've been invited on to another show to showcase kind of what we do. Big one in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah, and I think you know what's really attractive to the media is that we re we get to speak to every single one of our clients, and so because we understand what they're doing and why they do it, we can get to talk about real emotions, right? We can get to talk about why people are selling equities and purchasing property or selling a property and buying gold or deciding to bury their gold in their back garden because they don't trust anyone, right? You do hear such, mm. you do hear these stories. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've grown quite considerably. Um, we are one of the only companies to offer a consultative-based approach. For me... What does that mean? It means that we get to speak to every one of our clients. We get to explain how it works, why it works, how to sell, um, and when to buy. You know, there are some clients that we say, look, I don't think this is the right route for you, right? Yeah. And there are other clients whereby we might say, well, actually, if you wait a couple of weeks, based on what we think is coming out in the news, you may well benefit from a 2-3% price uh, reduction, mm. right? And so we like to give that guidance, that, that contributes to our reputation. But I think I would never buy an asset class that I'm not able to sell, right? I think it's one of the biggest um, um, mistakes, you know, however attractive an asset class is, if you can't sell it, then you're going to be stuck with something that at one point you might not need. And so we offer a buyback guarantee. So we guarantee that whatever you buy from us, we will buy back from you. So we're providing that guaranteed means of instant liquidity. Mm. And again, you know, for people that don't necessarily frequent financial markets or know, you know, what's happening in the next general election, um, knowing that they can buy something that they think is a good idea and knowing they can sell it when they think that now is the right time to sell, 
offers people a lot of comfort mm. when holding gold. Because mm. let's face it, it's very simple, it's straightforward. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to purchase an asset class. Or rich. Don't have to be rich. rich. No. Yeah. You just have to, in a way, it's, it's, it's right place, right time, and following the smart money. Mm. So, final question then is, is there anything about gold that I haven't asked you that we should talk about? You're the expert. I just buy it when I'm scared. <laughs> um, I think we've covered everything. Great. I mean, what I would say, and, and, and you, know, as, you know, this goes back to what we started talking about at the beginning. I never look at gold in isolation. You know, I'm also an investor. I hold property, right? I've got some money in the bank. I still need to pay for things. I've got to pay for my mortgage. So it wouldn't make sense to have all my money in gold. I have a pension exposed to equities. I've also got a SIP that holds physical gold in it. I've also got a SAS that holds physical gold in it. I'm waiting for opportunities in the future whereby I can buy more equities for less money, more property for less money. Um, I can um, invest in other asset classes that make a little bit more sense than they do at the moment. And so whilst I'm waiting for that to happen, for me, what makes most sense is holding it in an asset class that tends to be correlated with uncertainty and fear. Mm. But as soon as we start to see other asset classes that represent value, that'll be the point in which I decide to, you know, offload some of that gold, crystallize some of that growth, take advantage of undervalued asset classes, because instead of doing this... So in a way, it's a, a liquid savings account that's protected from inflation, essentially. Yeah, mm. but it's... You know, if you think about back in 2008 when the markets crashed, I can't imagine how many financial advisors would have called up their clients to say the market's dropped um, or the market's about to drop, take your money out, mm. right? Yeah. The market is generated and influenced by self-interest, mm. right? So if you take money away from your financial advisor, you are taking food off their table. Right, so they have to say something, and they're going to say something that obviously represents the least amount of risk, but the least amount of risk would have been to take your money out of the market in total. Mm. And so when we're looking at the retail market, and then we look at the sophisticated institutional market, they do things very, very differently, right? It's not a question of one step forward, one step back, right? A financial advisor would say, look, the market has dropped by 30%, but don't worry, it will come back. Mm. And they're right. Right? It will come back. If, if history has taught us anything, anything that goes down will come back. But we don't live forever. Right? So why should we have to wait 10 years for our pension to recover to where it was? Mm. And so what the institutional investors do is that when they see growth in one market, and possibly and arguably there may well be some more growth left in the tank, if there are metrics that are supporting that we're going to see a market inequity crash, like, for example, price-to-earnings ratio being at 27, or Meredith Whitney saying we're going to see a market crash, or um, the guy in the big short saying uh, putting 1.29 billion on the market kind of crumbling. That's the point in which sophisticated investors come out of their market, they forego greed and a little bit of extra cash, and they put their money into another asset that is in a different cycle, right? So instead of going one step forward, half a step back, and doing that same dance for 20 or 30 years, they are doing one step forward, they're moving sideways, they're taking another two, two steps forward, they're moving sideways, and they're taking another two steps forward. Mm. And I think there's a lot to learn by following what the smart money are doing, mm. which is exactly that right now. Yeah. 
So if people want to buy some gold or some silver, you founded the Pure Gold Company. So can you tell everyone how they would do that? I mean, as I said to you before we went live, um, I've been looking to partner with someone, be able to recommend someone for a lot of years. Because where I used to buy my gold before you, my business partner didn't want me to publicise that. So this is a great opportunity for everyone. It's something I've wanted to do for many years. So um, where do we go and how do we buy some silver and gold with you? So the website is thepuregoldcompany.co.uk. Um, clients, users can download an investor guide and find out you know, how it all works. If they prefer to speak to someone, they can book in a consultation, which is free of charge, and there's no obligation to do anything. You know, it may well start and end with a conversation with a possible purchase at some time in the future, maybe not. So visit the website, download an investor guide, book in a free consultation, um, and if it makes sense for you, and if it makes sense for us, then you know, we will guide you into how this works and assist you in making that happen. Yeah. And just so you know, I don't get a commission when you buy gold, so don't worry about that. Josh, this has been re really um, enlightening and educational. I've wanted to do this for a long time, so thanks for coming into the studio.